Kyle Wyand was 13 when he started using drugs. In April 97, I just remember because it's near my birthday, I got a shot of dope, which is meth, and then uh, it wasn't two months later and I was using uh, heroin. So, Kyle lives in Prairie City, Iowa, a town of 1,700 people, just 25 miles from where he grew up. How did you start using drugs? So my neighbor growing up, me and him were best friends. We're six months apart. But he's got this older brother that I always thought was cool as hell. So I was out there one day, me and my buddy were sitting on his stoop. And his brother goes, hey, Kyle, come here. I got something for you. I go over there, go trotting over like, you know, what do you want, Chris? What do you want? He's like, you want to get high? I'm like, oh, sure, Chris. Yep, yep, yep. You know? And it was uh, about 30 cents worth of dope and a needle, and he put it in my neck, and away I went for the next three freaking days just zooming. That was 23 years ago. He's been using drugs ever since. Last June, after spending 55 days in county jail on a probation violation, Kyle went to his brother's house to get high. First thing I did was go get some things to make myself feel happy. And um, my niece had a bunch of clean needles and stuff. I'm like, where the hell did this stuff come from? His niece picked up the needles from a group called the Iowa Harm Reduction Coalition, or IHRC. The organization provides free supplies, services, and support to drug users throughout the state. They focus on preventing the spread of infectious disease, like HIV and hepatitis C, and on preventing overdoses. After learning about IHRC, Kyle got in touch with Sarah Ziegenhorn, the founder and executive director. He wanted supplies. I happened to be driving through Des Moines, which is where he was living, and so I just met him in a motel parking lot. When Sarah met Kyle, she gave him a stash of sterile needles and 200 doses of naloxone, the drug that reverses opioid overdoses. He handed the naloxone out to his friends and other people he knew who used drugs. A week later, he called me back and was like, okay, so I reversed, there are 34 people reversed overdoses. I need you to come back and give me more. After meeting Sarah, Kyle joined IHRC staff as an outreach specialist. In his role... He's responsible for distributing naloxone, or Narcan, the branded version of the drug administered as a nasal spray. I actually am really, really freaking good at getting Narcan in the hands of where it needs to be. Since he was arrested in April, Kyle has been trying to quit using drugs. While he's had a few relapses, it's the longest he's gone without using drugs every day since he was 13. Because of his past, Kyle is tapped into a network of drug users across the state of Iowa. He's able to reach people most medical professionals never could. I've, I've managed to take my old heroin dealers and get them to pass out naloxone and clean rigs with every sale. In recent years, naloxone has become a popularized defense against the national opioid epidemic. Last year, the United States Surgeon General called the drug a safe antidote to a suspected opioid overdose and recommended more individuals carry it. As of June 2019, 29 states have passed standing orders or laws that allow pharmacists to dispense naloxone to patients without a prescription. Iowa is one of them. But even in these states, getting naloxone isn't as easy as going to your local pharmacy. According to a recent study, only about 25% of California pharmacies provide the drug without a prescription 
despite a standing order passed in 2016. Researchers say pharmacists aren't dispensing the drug, either because they don't know a standing order exists or because of stigma against drug users. But this kind of legislation only works if the people who need naloxone know about it. And that's not always the case. The educational campaigns that exist to try to like get the word out about Narcan, um, they're not always done in the most creative or like really well-financed ways. Sarah says these educational campaigns are often isolated to doctors' offices or public health departments, places drug users don't necessarily frequent. Many of the people Sarah's met through IHRC have never even heard of naloxone before. You know, people will, will say things like, what is this? Like, I've never heard of Narcan. I didn't even know this existed. Um, so it's fairly common um, that people will have been using for a long time but just never had access to Narcan or Naloxone at all. Traditionally, in the event of an overdose, people would basically, if they were with a friend um, who had overdosed and they were using together, they would just give them CPR, um, just like rescue breaths, for, for an hour or two until they woke up and the drug started to wear off just to make sure that they were getting some oxygen and like hope that they would make it. To ensure naloxone gets into the hands of people who need it, IHRC distributes in places where drug users are more receptive to outreach. We go to strip clubs typically, so there's a number of different clubs that we go to regularly. Um, There's a couple of liquor stores that we will go to really late at night. There are a couple of of homeless encampments where people live out in the woods in kind of these tent cities, and so we'll go there as well. Volunteers carry backpacks filled with naloxone and pass it out, along with information on how to use it. But Sarah says the main barrier to treatment isn't a prescription or a lack of information. It's stigma. We often uh, get calls from people saying, like, you know, I cannot go to the hospital. I cannot go to the pharmacy. I can't go to the clinic because we're in such a small community. Everybody knows each other. The stigma here is so great, and I just can't risk being identified as an IV drug user. I would lose my job if people knew I used opiates. According to an IHRC survey, the top reason people report for not going to the hospital during a medical emergency, like an overdose, is fear of stigma for medical professionals. For Kyle, that stigma has had very real consequences. I applied for like 97 jobs earlier this year, right? Did not get a single one of them. Kyle says that kind of rejection is discouraging and makes it even more difficult to get out of the drug scene. For those like Kyle who mingle with drug users, selling drugs is an easy way to make a lot of money. And it doesn't require a job application. I can make money today instead of waiting for somebody to call and say, no, we don't want you anyway. The harm reduction approach aims to destigmatize drug use. For many years, punitive measures have been used to curb drug use in communities. Law enforcement individuals have been deployed to battle the opioid epidemic, through arrests and legal charges. But harm reduction coalitions like IHRC reject that approach. For these groups, it's about acknowledging that drug use is happening and taking steps to mitigate the negative consequences. In response to the opioid epidemic, harm reduction coalitions have cropped up across the country, 
offering drug users sterile needles, information on how to use drugs safely, and tools to prevent overdoses. While these methods aim to reduce drug-related deaths, the work these groups do has not gone uncriticized. In a study called The Moral Hazard of a Life-Saving Drug, two economists claim that widespread naloxone use may lead to increased opioid abuse by reducing the risk of death. The researchers compared the number of opioid-related emergency department visits in states that passed naloxone expansion laws with those that did not. They found a 14% increase in opioid-related hospitalizations in states with at least one expansion law on the books. The article was met with a chorus of condemnation, from emergency physicians to public health officials. Critics of the study say that just because a state passes an expansion law doesn't mean more drug users are actually using naloxone. As mentioned earlier, access laws don't necessarily mean more access. And many physicians say emergency room visits are a poor indicator of increased opioid use, since people are instructed to go to the hospital after being revived by naloxone. When I asked Kyle if he thought naloxone promoted drug use, his answer was no. No heroin addict wants to get Narcan. I promise you that is the last freaking thing any of us want, okay? Because dying isn't that bad, okay? At least not from an overdose. Before you know it, you're dead. I mean, all you knew was you was happy and done. You fell asleep pretty much. But Narcan bringing you back from that completely shuts down the opiate receptors, puts you right into full-blown withdrawal. The shakes, the, oh, just the most sick, miserable thing you could ever, ever experience. And it does it, and that's how it saves your life. And you can't just use right away again because it'll block it. So you got to wait. I mean, it's like 90 minutes before you can even start to try to get some back in you and feel better. And it's the longest, I promise, longest 90 minutes. According to Sarah, the causes of drug dependency are much more complex than knowing an overdose reversal medication exists. The decision about to use drugs um, isn't made based on whether or not it's believed to be normal or socially acceptable or okay, um, but decisions around drug use and the development of a pattern of chaotic or addictive use is typically um, the result of a lot of really complex social forces um, and biological forces. And so not just like, oh, here's a needle exchange. You know, I think I'm going to try to inject some heroin today. She says that by being honest about drug use, harm reduction coalitions like IHRC are able to offer drug users opportunities to take care of themselves in ways that often promote positive changes. And according to Sarah, the harm reduction method is backed by science. In 1991, two psychologists developed a theory called the trans-theoretical model of health behavior change. It posits that big behavioral changes are the result of a series of smaller ones. The harm reduction approach uses that same logic to promote behavioral changes, like quitting drugs, going into a needle exchange and picking up naloxone is a really positive pro-health behavior because um, a lot of people that use IV drugs don't necessarily want to go to a needle exchange because, you know, it requires this very human, very personal interaction and 
you know, you have to give out a lot of information about yourself. You get the needles. You make the positive uh, interaction with another human being. Um, and so there's, there is something in that that represents um, a decision and a desire to take care of yourself. Um, and for people, that is often leads into this kind of cycle of additive and cumulative behaviors um, that leads people to um, going into drug treatment or reducing their drug use. While some critics claim harm reduction coalitions enable drug users, Kyle says IHRC has been a source of motivation. One person doesn't think we're worthless. That helps, you know, that helped me think maybe, maybe I got a little work to me. I mean, I ain't worth much more than a plug nickel, but God dang, something. Yeah, yeah. And that is the worst feeling in the world, aside from being opium sick, is feeling worthless or feeling like if you died, nobody'd even really notice. And for a lot of us, nobody would have noticed. Direct relief through a donation from Pfizer has donated nearly 75,000 doses of naloxone to IHRC. Since 2016, the group has reversed more than 2,000 opioid overdoses. For Direct Relief, I'm Amarika Raffanelli.